Hey, everybody, this is uh, part two of a two-part podcast on the conference that was held in Santa Fe. If you've not listened to part one, you probably should go back and listen to it. I think it'll make it hang together better, and there's kind of a better introduction on what's happening. If you have listened to part one, then you're in totally the right place. So sit back and relax. Here comes an exciting conclusion. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am Todd Conklin, the host of this here pod. Yes, we're back together like we always are. And you probably heard in the little pre-tease, this is part two of the Conklin Conference. That just, that feels so egotistical. I don't like calling it that, but I don't know what, the little meeting we had in Santa Fe in 2023, this is part two of the open Q&A. And uh, it went, the first half went great. You heard it, you, you noticed it. Again, the expertise in that room, humbling and fun to hang out with. This was a pretty good time. And the access to those people, you know, it's, it's, it's complete. I mean, you can just ask them anything. And they kind of did. And that's kind of the cool part of what happened. And a very cool part of, of the pod. So you get to enjoy that. I mean, that, that'll be fun for you to listen to while you walk the dog or work out in the gym or bake cookies. That's my fantasy. My fantasy is that everybody, you know, how they say when you, when you speak publicly, they used to give that advice. Imagine everyone in the room in their underwear, which is creepy at every level don't do that. What I do when I do podcasts is I imagine everybody's making cookies because the outcome of that is at some point there's going to be a lot of cookies, and I'm pro cookie. If you read my record, it's uh, I'm clearly pro cookie. I'm a cookie man, pro cookie the entire. I've never wear, I've never varied, I've never wavered. I almost said I I tried to combine vary and wavered there earlier. It didn't work, but I tried. Right, that's what I try to imagine. But I, I I'm digressing. I think from the actual introduction to what's happening here. This is part two. And the questions just keep coming. I really like this idea. It's lots of different voices all represented with no, absolutely no predetermined understanding at all of what's going to happen and who's going to ask what and what they're going to say. So that's what you get to listen to. And that is the part two of the pod. So that's kind of a fun thing to do. So without much further ado, I mean, I can belabor this a long time. I can make more crap up about cookies. I can talk about a ton of stuff. But I kind of think the right thing to do is just listen to the pod. So here is part two of the conference held in Santa Fe, New Mexico, 2023. The open discussion we had at the end of our three and a half days together. Enjoy. Uh, so one one uh, uh, travel tip: if you're flying east, uh, the president is what, is at one of the airports in the East Coast. I don't know if it's New York or Philadelphia or Jersey. I can't remember which one it is. But to so those of us in the West, that's all the same place. <laughs> I had to get my jersey count. Oh, oh, it was a jersey. Oh, nice. I didn't pick up on it. That's awesome. That's how Right. Uh, so great, great conference. A uh, lot, lot to think about. A lot of internal challenges starts here. I know I've got to make changes with my team. So two kind of questions. One is we talked a little bit at lunch yesterday, what we work on uh, our trees. 
So a very uh, highly variable thing. It's really hard to control for all of that. I don't think we'll ever get the answer. The other is the external, the regulatory aspect. We work for clients who like the regulators looking at them. So punishment is a big, big part of it. And so we've talked a little bit about this, but how can we move that? Because as long as that pressure from the regulator is on the client, that's going to be on us to punish, and we're, it's going to be harder to move that forward. You want me to start? So we have to change the conversation we have with the regulator, and we have to change the conversations we're having with, our, with the clients. And the cool news about saying that is 10 years ago I said that, and everyone looked at me like I was crazy. But now it's really happening. You're having different conversations with your clients all the time, much different. And it's weird now because the clients are saying, you're right, we need to look at this differently. And sometimes it flips and the client becomes better at it than you do, which is freaky. The regulators always, the, the what did Reason say, the unfortunate, unlikely lot of the, unfortunate lot of the regulator? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, right. The regulator is always, always going to be lagging process. That's how regulation always works. They're always going to regulate yesterday, and you live in today, and your client wants tomorrow. So there's always going to be sort of this disconnect all all the way around. The very best thing we can do, and it works pretty well, is to have dialogue and a sense of shared fate with the regulator, Mm -hmm. and to really involve them pretty early in pretty context-rich stories of what's happening. That makes a huge difference. They're also, I mean, you guys jump in, but there's really less emphasis now at the regulatory level, at least in the United States with OSHA, around injuries. That you're seeing cracks in that system kind of starting to appear. And that's going to be really interesting because what freaks them out is they, it goes back to your question, they honestly don't know what they should be monitoring now. Well, understanding what they see as success what they're afraid of, how they feel that it is their purpose, and really having an honest conversation around that, just as you said, sort of the shared purpose around it, you can put yourself in a position of helping them meet their purpose as an agency. They're human beings. And when you build a genuine relationship with a human being that feels like you are trying to help each other, you will, you will move along. I remember uh, having a PAAA audit when I was working with Todd, and because I was just so ignorant and didn't come out of the field at all, I sat down with the auditor, and I just got really excited about what we were doing and, you know, showed him all sorts of stuff, and got a best practice in a PAAA audit, and I was told that no one, yeah. no one had ever gotten one before. You but mostly it was, just want to survive them. And I, I just didn't have that mentality. I just was like, hey, here's somebody who is interested in what I do for a living, and I, I love it so much, and let me explain how you know we're trying to solve this problem. And I just got silly... I just got silly and excited, and they got silly and excited about it. I'll, I'll try that. We invited them to a meeting in April, so silly, silly and excited. And excited. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then spike the water. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never heard. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. What? Jersey. Yeah, right. This is the one thing you said you wouldn't do. Well, not, I've got a question. <clears throat> so, we browbeat him into asking this question. <laughs> So still a little unclear as I, as I look at the hop approach to safety, vice, 
accountability. Um, so fr from the hop approach, consequence is appropriate when negligence is shown. Sure. Yeah. Whereas when I look at the accountability process, it seems that consequence is appropriate when no ownership is, is shown in the deficiency. And I, I was wondering if you guys could kind of talk about that and, you know, help me see what, see what I'm missing there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that's a really good question. First, ladies first. <sighs> well. If I so, must. If yeah, I may. Well, so what I'm hearing is process versus uh, relationship. And so maybe in, in tell me, because I'm new in the safety circle, so hopefully. Yeah, this is first time. Safety circle. Yeah. yeah. Um, accountability is, is that individual sense of, of owning what I'm doing, owning what I'm creating, owning the impact, owning the result of my effort. And I'm, I think that when the process breaks, there's, there's a connection there. But how you deal with the person versus how you deal with the incident are different in some respect. In the uh, you know, I think you're right. I think it goes back to something you so elegantly said, and that is that accountability and consequence are different. And so what's happened over time, at least in our world, is that we've really tied accountability to consequence. And I can prove that, and okay. I'm with my friends here. They will all agree with me. I'll be shocked if you don't. And that is... You can do something really bad and not get caught, yep. and nothing will ever be said. Right? My favorite question is, if you fall in the parking lot and no one watched you, <laughs> did you fall in the parking lot? Right? That's a fair question. That's really a pretty interesting example. Or you can do something crazy. So, so, Jenny, the example I'd use is that every time there's an accident, two things are always true. Somebody made a mistake. Right? They made a mistake. And they didn't follow the procedure. That's, anybody disagree? Have you ever done one that didn't have those in there? So those are always true. Here's where this gets crazy. Every time we're successful, on time, on budget, within scope, making money, happy client, everything's good, air smells like chocolate chip cookies, yeah. two things are true. Ready? Yeah. Somebody made a mistake, and there were giant parts of that work where they didn't follow the process. So that exists in success and failure, uh -huh. and accountability exists in success and failure. Yes. The problem is, is in success, we don't have to have the accountability discussion that much because everything's working. So in failure, we make it sort of quasi-causal, and we confuse it with consequence. At least I'll, I'll tell you, in my organization, I spent most of my career confusing it with consequence. Yeah. It's a significant event. We're going to have significant accountability. Mm -hmm. Fair enough in the name. And I think that's something we have to tackle collectively because the accountability question, the reason it always comes up, the reason you're always talking about it in your company, the reason your bosses always ask about it, is because we haven't answered it yet. There's one piece that's really important though, to Jersey's question is, what's the difference between negligence and lack of ownership? Don't they have a relationship? And isn't there part of this here that is how we have develop that person to have a connection to the work and to the organization yeah. in a way that they do not want to destroy operations and that they feel like there is a place where they can take ownership and feel they can be successful in that ownership. So we've already determined that you know negligence is bad 
Well, I think lack of ownership, which I believe really doesn't land with the worker, lack of ownership is primarily the responsibility of leadership, is to make sure that we do not create workers that walk around like you did with the safety glasses, Todd, in that demonstration, yell and screw you! Screw you! <laughs> and I wonder if one of the problems is, is that we attach accountability to people. And that goes back just to what you said. I wonder if what we really should be thinking about is sort of process accountability and how that moves. But to me, the biggest information that I'm carrying out of this accountability discussion of today is really two things. One is that accountability, no matter how you cut it, no matter where you are on the spectrum, accountability is an act of clarity. We, need, we can't say that enough times. I mean, I, that seems really valuable to me, and it's not a message that's been out there very long. And two is that really, to a great extent, conflict around accountability is more about time than it is about consequence. There was one more thing that Jen said that I thought was really important is that accountability is a practice, yeah. which means that it is not something that happens you know, once a year or quarterly or anything like that. It's it is something, it's not a metric. It is something that, that is a shared practice that everyone is working on together and, and, you know, I'm of the belief that leadership has to be the ultimate responsible yeah. on that. Yeah. And, and there's something we said about organizations who are people positive, meaning we, we expect good intent and we, we are there to help you learn and grow. And there's, there's the conversations are about how do we help you get better and how, how do we help you learn and improve from when things happen in a people positive culture. Um, is going to invest in the mastery around accountability conversations and and use the consequences when when there's no there's no ownership of how how this needs to to be thought about or ownership over the the politics that go down yeah. or whatever those things are that have to really be dealt with. The way I often access it, especially if people are pushing really hard, and sometimes people push as you guys know really hard, is I ask them to think about their best boss. The best, the best boss you I think I did that with you guys. Well, who's your best boss? And that's an easy question. People, you, you're doing it right now. You can think of your best boss. And then I want to ask the second question. How did that boss handle accountability? And what you're going to hear is something that Jen said this morning, and that is we, that boss didn't talk about accountability to me. I took accountability. You know, because I would go to, you know, walk through broken glass. I would, they're that good of a leader. And you can really see where that accountability that's something that I took on in order to work with that boss. And I think that's really a powerful exercise. I don't know if it helps practically, but it totally would kill like 20 minutes in a class. <laughs> Maybe 30 if you stretch it. Does that help? Excellent. David, it looks like you might have a question. Or you're the usher at someone's wedding. I've <laughs> possibly done that before. Um, so my colleagues and I have been, first of all, thank you for the, for the seminar. It was a great Don't integrated effort. Thank Jersey. Thank, Jersey. thank you, Jersey. Thanks, Jersey. Appreciate it. Um, so this is going to be a, kind of a little different twist. Um, executive management and middle management have a little familiarity of HOP. So now in gaining momentum, what's the next sequence? Is it psychological safety? Is it accountability? 
where do we go in guiding their education, their learning experience to help gain momentum through the organization? So I'll, I'll start this just because I have a really strong opinion, then I'll shut up. Please. <laughs> I promise. Please. So what scares me about your question is a little familiarity. So the biggest mistake you can make in the world as you try to shift to this new paradigm in safety is a one-hour overview with the senior executive team. Because if you give them one hour's worth of overview, you know what you have? A bunch of senior leaders who understand one hour's worth of crap but think they've got the full load ahead and say things like, well, I've already been to that training. I understand it completely. Or worse, I already do that. I have an open door. Right? So my biggest advice, and then I'll shut up, I promise, is if you are given your supervisors eight hours of training, you need to give your senior leadership 24 hours of training. The rule I had is for everything I gave a worker, I tripled it for the leadership. And it worked pretty well. And what's funny is if the leadership tells you they're too busy, you just say, really? Really? You're too busy for safety? Because I'd like to get that message out if you don't mind. And they'll come in and do it. And thank you for that because that tells me we want to sequence fundamentals first. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's next? Psychological safety, accountability. So we all change the language and align on the language for change. It's up to your, it's based on your organization. You know, you really have to understand what issues they're dealing with. And of course, if you want to have any learning really become embedded, you, it has to solve a, you know, a pending sort of need or a pending anxiety or address that so that they can put what they learn into use right away. So there isn't, I don't think there is, you know, there's not an off-the-shelf kind of way of approaching organizational change. There's an element of self-design that's required in all of this, and I think that once you've presented HOP to them, the question should emerge from them. Take that. They're giving you guidance. That's those questions that they ask. That's the direction. And just by finding many people to be here this week, they have supported. <coughs> However, that doesn't necessitate change through the executive and mid-level and change the vocabulary and language and how we think across the organization. So that was why I was looking forward to sequencing. And I get fundamentals at the foundation. Yeah, and part, part of the key in the fundamentals at that executive level is, is don't be hesitant at all to draw that asymptotic curve. So, so show them all the improvement that has happened historically, because that's pretty important. And then when you get to that, you talk about that flat line, talk to them about three things. One is that that line's telling us that we're having events that are fewer and farther between, which means the events we're having now are no longer predictive, and we can't use prediction tools around uh, anomalous events to figure out where to spend our resources. The second thing you want to tell them is that under the rules of all process, if, if you've read the PMBOK... I, I might have. I believe you might have read the PMBOK. Yeah, and if you don't know what the PMBOK is, God, you are the luckiest person on earth. <laughs> That's all I mean. It's the Process Management Book of Knowledge. What is this? Project Manager's Pro- Book of Knowledge. Okay, Project Management Book of Knowledge. It, they like took the most boring book in the world and said, how can we make this more boring? That, that's it, right? But even the PMBOK will tell you that the, all processes have that asymptotic moment. Right. And that when that happens, what you learn in project management is that your current strategy has saturated your problem. You have to, you have to shift strategies. I mean, that, that's the essence of sort of good project leadership. That same will hold true. And once you tell that to senior leaders, 
that's just far enough over into their realm that it really resonates with them pretty effectively. And, and what you tell them is continuing to do the same things harder is not going to get you a new result. But what I, tell, what I tell the seniors is continuing to lead this organization in the same way will no longer be really as profitable as it once was. You, you have to change your leadership philosophy around really resilience and reliability. And once you sort of get that, then they ask you back. So, and once they start asking, well, they, they will. Once they ask you back, then they're going to have pretty detailed discussions. Then the onus is on bringing the rest of the organization with you. And you want to make sure under the No Surprises Act of 1863 <laughs> that all the people who are going to get calls from these senior leaders around these questions are briefed and ready because that's going to be important. Right, right. Well, hey, thank you very much. I appreciate the answers. Thank Jersey. Thanks, Jersey. <laughs> um, how do we create urgency within the safety department and operations to understand and investigate normal work? Um, so as you do this work, you're going to come away with different results. We've talked about a whole bunch. And you're going to have stories to tell. And so we look at graphs and boxes and triangles and things like that, but at the very most basic, as we evolve, we're human beings who like to tell stories around a fire. You know, and back in the day, we never say in a fire, okay, I'm going to diagram, you know, we live on the prairie and we have bison and we throw them off cliffs graphically. We tell the story, you know, there we were. And so once you go out there and you learn about some of these events and you've got a good story to tell, find your best storyteller and then tell your leadership. Like, I can write you a, you know, a bland, pedantic report of we had so many of this and so many of that, but, man, we found out something really interesting, and I want to tell you about it, and then get that story told. People can't get enough of that, because that's how we're wired. That's how we work. The other, thing, the other advice I'd give you is really introduce the words good and lucky into your vocabulary. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when you talk about normal work, then, you know, talk about were we effective because we were good, or were we effective because we were lucky? And the crazy thing is, at the leadership level, they don't know how to answer that. And that should freak them out. And if it doesn't, because if you want a little burning platform, then you sort of challenge them and you say, you know, you really need to be able to discern the difference with that. And that's non-threatening enough and kind of clever enough that it'll, it'll cause them to look for different things. The entire goal of this human performance effort is just to give leaders different questions. Because if they ask different questions, then you get different answers. And if they ask better questions, you're going to get better answers, right? And so if you give them new things to look for, they're going to look for it. So one of the things that is really successful, and it just works, and I don't know why you guys have to tell me why, is if you get them heightened to the idea that they don't go to the field to seek deviation. So when they go out to the field, they're not going out to seek somebody doing it wrong. They're actually going out to find places where our controls are the weakest. And that just makes them ask different questions. And just kind of just say that that's a really important So they have to go out to the regular normal workers in regular normal work and ask this question. Where are our controls bad? And that's a way different conversation. I mean, the workers have lots of answers for that. They have to sort of pick the best one, whichever one they're thinking of. That makes a huge difference. And I would say, 
if safety professionals are spending too much time behind a desk, they're not actually serving um, their own programs and other things. And I know that it's very easy to get sort of pulled into doing a lot of analysis and a lot of paperwork and a lot of things like that. But the relationships that you're building with the workers in the environments that you're trying to help them make safe are what's really going to help you understand of what's good and what's lucky. And those relationships that you have when you really need to answer some tough questions are where you're going to get some honest answers that are going to help you be successful and help your leadership um, get really invested in safe work. So I've just given a presentation, and this guy follows me out of the auditorium. And all I'm really trying to do is get back to my hotel room and go to the bathroom. That's kind of my priority. And he follows me in the elevator, and the door's closed, and I'm trapped. And he says to me, um, I'm the commander of the Blue Angels. Did you hear me drop that? Did you hear that? When's the last time you said that? Like, when did you have to pee so bad, but you were trapped in the elevator with the commander of the Blue Angels? The first time for me, too. And uh, he says, I just want to ask you a question. I said, sure. I said, but you need to know that you're the commander of the Blue Angels. And that I promise you, you have way more cred in whatever question you're going to ask me than I do. And he goes, no, it's not. And I said, if we were on a stage and both of us were speaking, you would be the hero. And I would be that fat guy that followed you. I'm pretty sure of that. (laughs) So he says to me, he says, we have this new program where we have a safety watch. And we're sending people out on the line. And it's a supervisor. And that supervisor's job is to find things going wrong. And I said, wow. That surprises me in the Blue Angels. And he said, the problem is, is that I can't get my leaders to do it, and none of the soldiers want it, right? And I said, well, there's no surprise there, because who would want to go out and seek bad stuff? That's a crappy job. And who wants to be spied on by somebody out there seeking crappy? Like, I would set up bad stuff by the drinking fountain so they never actually had to walk over to the work area. Right? I would, too, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And he said, so you think this idea is flawed? Well, so I think the answer is, yeah, that idea is flawed. And it's using leadership in the wrong way. I said, I'm not the commander of the Blue Angels. I hardly ever do any aerial acrobatics on purpose. But if I were you, I would flip the calculus on that. I would actually reward seeking excellence. Go out and look for where you're really good at what you do. And at that moment in time, capture that story, just like Mark said, and talk about this excellence and what it looks like and feels like from the voice of the people doing that work. I've never seen him again because I don't hang out with the commander of the Blue Angels that much. And I'm petrified he's going to say, you want a ride. (laughs) Do I want a ride? First of all, I'm pretty sure I won't fit. Just go ahead and say it. Just go ahead, just go ahead and say it. I can read your mind, Jersey. But at least I could fly my watch with you guys. This is how Jersey tells stories right here. Additions to that, you guys? Good enough. What do you think? Best day ever. Best day ever. You guys have been the greatest. Thank you so much for your time. Have a safe journey home, and we'll see you guys again. I bet we do. It's a small world. Be nice to everybody. Final thoughts, anyone? Good to see you live. Did you make it this bathroom? Yeah, barely. <laughs> <laughs> it really was kind of a problem. I was like, whoa. <laughs>
this goes on any further. Thank you. See you later, you guys. Oh, I'm supposed to. Oh, yeah, Jake reminded me that because we sold out so fast on this. So you, you may not know this because you're here, but there's a bunch of really angry people that couldn't come. So we have another one scheduled in September in Orlando. And I'll just be, this is, is anyone listening? So, doors closed. The only reason we're doing it in Orlando is I really want to go to that Disney Star Wars deal. <laughs> Don't you kind of want to go? Is it worth it? Not the, I'm scared of the hotel. Plus, I'm scared of any hotel. That, what's it? It's like, it's like $5,000 for two nights? Yes. Dude, that's like staying in Norfolk. <laughs> I'm scared of Mark. It's a tiny capsule? Well, I know Gator's so scared. But I want to go to the to the parkway. I want to see what that's like. So if you come to that one, I I guarantee you we're going. I'm scared after his sign about Disney. That was Disneyland. Wouldn't they have the same Anybody else good? See you later, alligators. Thanks for your time. You've been the greatest. Awesome. Thank you. And that's the exciting conclusion. That is the conclusion of part two, a two-part podcast of the open question and answer period that happened at the Conklin Conference. I hope you enjoyed it. It's um, it's definitely, I was really pleased to do it. I was really glad to share it with you. I was really glad to actually record it for the podcast. I would say I was pretty genuinely happy with what we did. I hope the quality was okay. It seemed okay to me. I mean... I don't know. This isn't like this. I'm pretty sure this isn't the podcast you listen to for audio quality. I'm just guessing. I try my best, but you know, that's what it is. That was great. And you heard at the end that we sort of teased that there's another one. And the reason there's another one is that the first one completely sold out. In fact, it oversold. It was kind of a mess. And so we're going to do it again. And that is going to be an opportunity. If you want to come, you're more than welcome. Love to have you. And you know what? I think from now on, we'll end with this little podcast thing. I think it's a good way to end. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.